In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So today, today is the Sunday we call Christ the King Sunday, or it is often called the Feast Day of the Reign of Christ. I'm trying to get this right. How's that, Jim? All right, all right. So we have language like king, kingdom, reign. These are all words that we, we don't really relate to as Americans because, of course, we don't have a king, and we don't call our government a kingdom, nor do we have a reign of a leader. We are the first great experiment in democracy where people have a voice by voting, voting in our leaders, voting out our leaders. And just take a moment to think about how unique that is in light of the history of the, of the world, of all the civilizations in the world, we have this great democracy. And it is a remarkable gift that required remarkable courage and intellect and grit to create, and it requires the same to maintain. It's a truly astonishing thing, this idea of freedom, of being represented, of fighting for having a voice in this representation, and to evangelize, really, this democracy around the world, to be a beacon of freedom and hope and, and so much more. But yet here today we have the language in Scripture full of images of Christ the King. We say that we work to further the kingdom of God. Some feel that king language is oppressive. And they say, no, the word shouldn't be kingdom. It should be kingdom. We are all family. We're all kin. And to be more exclusive is to say kin rather than king. As we seek a healthy gathering of all God's people working for the kingdom of God. Embracing rather than being ruled. But the people in Jesus' day, they would have understood kingdom language. They would have understood the word king and what a king meant because a king was all powerful. But what does it mean to be a beacon for freedom, a shining light? It means that in order to keep that light shining, there will always be work to do and there will also be challenges within that work. There will be those who don't want to live in that kind of world where others have freedoms. They will try to throw a cog in the wheel and they will try to destroy the light. There are those elements in the world who prefer darkness rather than light so that no one can see what they're doing. So that freedom and kingdom doesn't subvert their control or their power. And kings and emperors in Jesus' day did a lot of that. They did a lot and they were pretty corrupt and didn't treat all the people very well. To have a king means that we are ruled. 
without freedoms, without having a voice, and that we are subject to the whims of a ruler who doesn't really care about anything except holding power. And perhaps this is why many today reject religion, reject coming to church, because when we say that Christ is a king, they think that there's no freedom, only rules. No balm, only judgment. And no humility, only power. And worse, no truth, only hypocrisy. But let's face it, the church of history hasn't always been a bastion of balm and freedom. <laughs> but the church has evolved, and we are grateful for that. Still, the idea of being subservient to a king or ruler is not in our DNA so much as Americans, but the point that is that Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus is an ideal king, not a worldly king. What did Jesus come to do? He came not to lay down the law, but to fulfill the law. He didn't come to judge the world, but to set captives free, to heal the sick, to lift up those without a voice, to reveal the truth, to teach forgiveness, not revenge, to reveal the kingdom of God, not to enrich the kingdoms of humankind. What kind of king humbles themselves, dying on a cross, the most humiliating and painful death. It wasn't a very special death. Romans crucified people all over the countryside every day. This wasn't a regal death. He was murdered alongside common criminals in what was then ordinary fashion. And one of the criminals alongside Jesus, as we learn today, still takes the opportunity to use his last dying breath to mock Jesus like others had done, to use his last breath as a breath full of vinegar and poison instead of compassion. If he is truly the king, let him save himself and us, the thief mocks, mocking Jesus' ability to save. But then the other criminal, who is crucified alongside Jesus, rebukes the mocker, accepts his wrongdoing by saying to the effect, hey, we did something wrong, According to the Roman law, this is the penalty. He doesn't blame others. He doesn't deny Jesus. He accepts him as the Messiah, the one who can assure him of forgiveness and mercy as he lay dying. The thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Christ the King Sunday. It's always the Sunday before Advent and which I can hardly believe is next week, uh, but it is coming. Advent is coming. Advent is a word that means arrival. Advent comes from a Latin word called, uh, a Latin word, adventus. Adventus was a great occasion when a noble person or ruler would arrive in your town or a village and there would be great expectation and all the townspeople, they would gather along the road to greet this royal person and his or her entourage. Most, most of the time it was an emperor who would parade through after winning a battle. 
And emperors back then were thought of as gods. They were human, but they were thought of as gods. And kings, too, were thought to have been placed on the throne by God, ordained by God to be a king. And it was the highlight of the year to have this procession come through your small village because the emperors would be adorned with gold and jewels and it would be the highlight of their year. So naming Christ as king before the great period of Advent means that we recognize and we await the arrival of someone with great and total power who will fight for us, who will represent us, who will save us, who will free us from all manners of bondage. Someone who will win the battle between dark and light. So look at what our images are that bookend this great season of Advent. We have a Savior who dies tragically on the cross in great humiliation. And in about five weeks, we will have the birth of a baby born to a humble family in a faraway village, soon to be poor refugees as they flee their home country to Egypt because of the wrath of the worldly King Herod, who is selfish and greedy and sees the baby Jesus as competition. The light of the world is born in simplicity and will die in humility. What is God trying to tell us, I wonder? For one that God is revealed in ways that we don't expect, that God may not make a grand entrance in our lives, but that God just may be in the small stuff, that we shouldn't be swept away or distracted by false expectations of what a savior should be. Now, it is true that back in the day, a king or a queen, they could grant those accused of crimes mercy. A king or queen could forgive debts. A king or a queen had absolute power, but absolute power often corrupts because earthly power is not often paired with our humble natures. To be humble before God is not to bow our heads in false servitude, but to lay it all out there, our faults, our truths, those things for which we need to be forgiven and to know that Jesus is an ideal king, that Jesus lifts up the humble. Jesus, the ideal king, reveals a glimpse of the heavenly kingdom here on earth. A king who is not focused on his own greatness, but points to the true greatness, which is the mercy and love of God. A king who teaches and models forgiveness. So the thief says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, insignificant, imperfect me. Please don't remember all the bad things I did. Remember the true me, the real me. And the real me is the humble me. Don't remember that one the one who tried to do something other than being the true me. Don't remember those things that I did when I thought I could get away with this or that, please remember my heart before it was corrupted. This is a scene about a humble king who engages with a moment of surrender from a humble thief. Jesus says, 
Today you will be with me in paradise. And today, remember, is timeless because God's time is different than our linear time. In this act of surrender to Jesus, the Supreme One, the Messiah, the King, for lack of a better word, the one who reigns, paradise is revealed. Like the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time, it is a place of great freedom where God's creatures walk and talk with God, enjoying the bounty that they have been given, where we don't try to be God ourselves and take the kingdom away from God. We can't and aren't allowed to eat from the same tree as God in order to be God ourselves, but we can humbly tend to it, marvel at it, and help replant the seeds. So we will begin our Advent yearning, recognizing Jesus is the king, the one who reigns in an ideal kingdom, a kingdom that is a kingdom that starts here and now. We await for the arrival of Jesus, not as a puffed up emperor who wears the cloak of artificial glory, but as the one who comes to bring peace, understanding, healing and mercy to a thirsty and impoverished world. Oh, that we could follow the ideal king without getting distracted by shinier objects. Amen. <laughs>